The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Dr. Martin Blank, is an expert on the health-related effects of electromagnetic fields, or EMFs, the type of radiation emitted by our cell phones, laptops, Wi-Fi routers, and everyday appliances. Dr. Blank... Dr. Blank's been studying this subject for over 30 years, and he earned his first Ph.D. from Columbia University in physical chemistry and his second from the University of Cambridge in colloid science. From 1968 to 2011, he taught as an associate professor at Columbia University, where he now acts as a special lecturer, and he has served as the chairman of the Organic and Biological Division of the Electrochemical Society, as president of the Bioelectrochemical Society, and as president of the Bioelectromagnetic Society. He's published over 200 papers and reviews and has served on the editorial boards of several journals including the Journal of the Electrochemical Society, Bioelectrochemistry and Bioenergetics, and Electromagnetic Biology and Medicine. Dr. Blank is here today to talk about his new book, Overpowered, The Dangers of Electromagnetic Radiation and What You Can Do About It. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Martin Blank. Thank you. So, Dr. Blank, uh, at the beginning of the book, you make clear that uh, you believe there are health risks to cell phones and Wi-Fi devices, but that you are not advocating for th- uh, the elimination of their use. Can, can you talk a little bit about what the goal of Overpowered is? The goal is to make people aware of the, uh, the fact that it is a danger, a potential danger. And the fact is that most of you can't feel this. When we go around uh, in our everyday kinds of chores, we find that uh, we don't feel the presence of electromagnetic fields. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say electromagnetic field because the sun is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. That's about the only thing we we see. But we don't see the full emissions of the sun. All we see are the light. We don't see the UV. We don't see the infrared. And the UV, everybody knows, is the stuff that gives you sunburn, which is damage to your skin. That's about the only thing that we uh, really realize. The other stuff we don't know is doing anything, but the fact is it does. As early as uh, the beginning of the, uh, this century, the uh, WHO pointed out that there was a strong correlation between exposure of children to power lines and the incidence of leukemia. And, uh, it, and it, it's amazing that you don't feel these things unless they're very high. I mean, people who, who uh, linemen who work on these power lines do, do feel these things. And by the way, the, there are statistics that indicate that they do come down with certain kinds of diseases. Uh, and, and they are greater risk for these diseases uh, than the general population. So uh, it, is, it is something that people should become aware of. And becoming aware of it gives you the, uh, the power to do things. And I use the word overpowered because... There's too much electromagnetic power around us, and it has overpowered us in another sense in that we don't realize it's there and it's causing a lot of damage. So at the beginning of Overpowered, Dr. Blank, you you mentioned that the science around the biologic effects of electromagnetic radiation is really in its early stages, that no specific exposure can be linked to a specific disease. 
However, you believe there's enough suggestive evidence that we should be actually making policy around protecting citizens from too much exposure to EMFs. Can you talk about other, are there other examples in, in the 20th century where we haven't had conclusive evidence, but we've acted upon it and changed policy prior to having uh, conclusive evidence of harm? Well, I think the, uh, you know, the World Health Organization has debated this thing, and many, many bodies, uh, of uh, intergovernmental type bodies, have debated this. And I think the consensus has been in recent years that one ought to apply the precautionary principle. And basically that if there is a, a risk that is identified, you balance the dangers of not doing anything with uh, the, the cost of doing something, or the better, better still, you balance the cost of not doing anything. How much disease is it going to cause? How much death is it going to cause? And how much it costs in terms of preventive measures that would help minimize that and maybe even eliminate it. It's, a, uh, it, it's kind of common sense that you, you do this thing. I mean, you take driving, for example. Automobiles are, are deadly instruments. <laughs> especially in the hands of people who don't know how to drive carefully. And the fact of the matter is people may resent someone coming in and telling you that you can't use this machine as, as freely as you'd like. We impose speed limits. You must have uh, seat belts. You must have a padded dashboard. I mean, these are the kinds of things that uh, the government institute to safeguard the population Sometimes even against their own feelings. I mean, they may feel, oh, no, I don't have to buckle up. But the fact is that uh, it's better if you buckle up, and it's better if you have the people, your passengers buckling up, because that will prevent a lot of damage when you get into a collision. I mean, there, there are over 20,000 deaths a year, I believe, in, uh, on the roads in the U.S. And uh, they, you know, anything you can do to minimize that number would certainly be a, uh, a, a plus for the society. So, so before we talk about precautions that, that people can take, let's go into some of the research around some of the potential health risks of electromagnetic fields. What, uh, what are we discovering, and what, is the, what are people uh, looking into to verify the, the potential health risks or diseases uh, for people who are heavy cell phone users or laptop users or, 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 ne- or maybe live near uh, cell towers? Well, let, let me take a, a slightly different tack. Most people are going to look at the, the risk as measured by epidemiology studies. Uh, I'm from a physiology department which em- tends to emphasize the biology. In other words, we do experiments that tell us how the living system responds to this. And you may not feel it, but the cells feel it. And that's one of the things that I think is very, very strong evidence, and people are not aware of it because it's technical and most people don't, they, they don't read about this stuff. Cells have a, a, an early warning system. The whole body has a warning system. You know that when you get into uh, difficulty of any kind, the, the body will start, will start to pump blood faster and you'll breathe faster. The body mobilizes itself. These are protective mechanisms that we know exist, and we're very grateful for them because they help us get out of a lot of uh, you know, tight scrapes. Well, cells have a similar kind of mechanism. It's called the cellular stress response. And it's not very well publicized, and not many people know about it. But it turns on whenever cells are exposed to bad stuff. I mean, if they come in contact with 
uh, with low oxygen if they come in contact with a change in, in acidity, like a strong acid or uh, a strong base. Uh, it, it will activate these proteins. There are about 20 of these proteins that start to be made when the cell is in trouble. And one of the things that it reacts to at very, very low levels is the electromagnetic fields. We discovered this in connection with exposure to power line kinds of fields, and they, uh, the uh, threshold was not very much above what we find uh, in a typical room. A typical room may have something in the order of one milligauss. We found thresholds that were the order of two or three milligauss. So it, it indicates that the cells feel this stuff as a, as a potential danger, and they mobilize what the, the, the mechanism that they have to protect the cell. Now, this is very strong evidence, but it's strong evidence for biologists. I mean, the physicists who uh, see the data of risk, let's say cancer that people get as a result of exposure to these uh, fields, especially from cell phones, which have been, there are many studies now that show that uh, people who hold these cell phones to their head, they tend to get these gliomas and uh, uh, other kinds of cancers that result in, uh, that, that are associated with the having this device up to their heads a certain number of hours. Now, people say, well, you know, it's, it's chance. Not everybody gets it. Same with smoking. Not every smoker was getting uh, lung cancer. A certain percentage get it, and a certain percentage do not. But the fact is that those who get it are more likely to get it if they're exposed for a longer period. This is known uh, as a dose response. The higher the dose, the greater the effect. In this case, the higher the dose, the greater the risk. So. This is the kind of evidence that the public sees, the uh, epidemiology studies, and it is strong evidence. There's no question about that, that there are many studies that show people who use cell phones are getting, are at greater risk for cancer. Now, as I, as I mentioned, the cancers like glioma in the brain, but there also have been cancers reported in salivary glands. I mean, the stuff in the, uh, in the cheeks that tend to... Uh, that we need for digestion. In other words, when you eat, these salivary glands secrete saliva, which starts the digestion process in the mouth. Now, uh, there are, one particular study has a very interesting result. The, they find an increase in the uh, cancers of the parotid gland as a result of uh, exposure to cell phones. And you see with cell phone uh, population increase, so does the parotid cancer. But on the other hand, the submandibular uh, gland, which is another salivary gland that one finds in the mouth, is below the mandible, the jawbone, and it is protected by the jawbone. So that uh, risk data is flat. So you have in the same sets of, uh, of uh, studies, you find that those that are more likely to be exposed to cell phone radiation are resulting in the development of cancer, whereas those that are less likely and protected are not developing. These are the kinds of studies and the data that indicate from epidemiology that indicate that it is a, uh, a greater risk having these devices. And how much of a greater risk do these studies suggest? Well, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but the fact is that uh, I think everybody... Uh, while they go around happily saying, oh, it's not going to happen to me, uh, it, the, if there's a chance 
they will start to think about it and moderate their use or maybe even eliminate it. But if you were to have, for instance, let's I, I don't know what the statistics are for sal- salivary gland cancers either, but let's say that your risk without a cell phone was 1 in 500,000, and now it's 2 in 500,000, so double the risk, but still a really tiny risk. I think a lot of people might still opt for cell phone Oh, there's no question that cell phones are a great convenience. And there are a lot of devices that are, you know, that are very helpful. I mean, don't ask me to give up my computer. I mean, it's, uh, and this emits, the, uh, the screen emits and the device itself, the keyboard emits. All of these things are tools. It's like, you know, when the caveman learned to use fire, that also had a risk associated with it. But he learned to use it because it was very helpful. It warmed him in the cold weather and it cooked his food. I mean, these are compromises that one makes, and the compromise involves changing your habits somewhat to accommodate the new risks. And uh, there are really risks. Cell phones are great. People go around now, they're, they're addicted to, um, I say they, most people are addicted to it, especially. Uh, teenagers and young adults, but the the fact is that the exposure to uh, these uh, devices is uh, is has a has consequences. Men usually take the cell phone and they don't want to miss a call, so when they're doing other things, they put them in their pockets, and if the ring comes, they pick it out and they take the call. There have been studies that show that men who keep their cell phones in their pockets are risking damage to the sperm cells. There are decreases, this has come in fertility clinics where they find that there's a a correlation with uh, the number of uh, hours that one uh, has used uh, the cell phone. There's some way of measuring what the kind of exposure is. But it's it's a relatively simple thing to turn the switch off, like the power off. And then when you take it out every, let's say, half hour, hour if you want, and turn it on, you'll see what calls have come in. But people in our society are uh, averse to missing any uh, second if a call comes in, they've got to take it immediately. And uh, that's the price you pay. You're irradiating the, uh, your insides because the cell phone isn't off. It is telling the uh, tower where you are. So if a call does come in, the tower knows where to reach you. So the tower is uh, the cell phone is constantly checking in. I shouldn't say constantly. It's it's intermittent. There are times when it does and it doesn't. But every time it checks with the tower, it is irradiating you, and that's the thing most people don't realize. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today to Dr. Martin Blank about his latest book, Overpowered: The Dangers of Electromagnetic Radiation and What You Can Do About It. Uh, Dr. Blank, is there a significant difference in the type of radiation that's coming from a cell phone or from a laptop than just from electricity itself in in a blender or a television set? Uh, They are a very different frequency. The electromagnetic spectrum has waves that are all a combination of electricity and magnetism. Uh, Some are uh, radiated at, at a certain frequency. They start radiating, and that's why we call it radiation. But at lower frequency, it doesn't radiate. That's a technical issue. But the fact of the matter is they are the same kinds of fields. And biologically, the reactions are very similar. At the very beginning, when we started speaking, I mentioned the cellular stress response. That is an indication of the body's reaction to these kinds of potentially harmful stimuli. 
the stress, cellular stress response occurs at low frequency, at power frequencies, you know, stuff that might come from your blender uh, and might come from the power pack on your microwave. The microwave emits uh, microwaves in the chamber where it's doing the cooking, but it also has a power pack which takes the stuff that comes from the lines, the line voltage, and converts it into the high-frequency uh, electromagnetic stuff that will cook your food. And so uh, there are, uh, you're exposed to, to that sort of stuff, uh, and uh, regardless of frequency, you're, they, the reactions are, the biological reactions are more or less the same. One of the interesting areas of research is the research on melatonin production and, and electromagnetic fields. Can you speak a, a little bit about that? Yeah, there hasn't been too much uh, research on that. And the, by the way, a lot of the cellular research has has not been funded adequately. And so now the uh, studies that are coming out are uh, those that tend to be funded by uh, in, by industry, and um, there's very little research that's going on in the United States that is funded by, uh, I would say, neutral sources. I mean, people that, that the traditional sources that used to just give money to find out what's going on, rather than to have an agenda that uh, may or may not uh, show up in its uh, in the results that one publishes. Uh, early on, people uh, compared the results of many of these studies and found that if you were funded by an industrial group, you were uh, twice as likely to find in their, in their favor, in other words, that there was no effect, as opposed to if you were funded by a neutral source like the government or a foundation of sorts. And uh, that would, so, and uh, I, it's, it's the way, I guess, the way of the world. But uh, when you look at the results, you then look at them differently, and you tend to think of them uh, not just as, as they're printed, but you filter them through the idea that this is, it's been shown that there tends to be a bias, if you want to call it that, or if not a bias, it's that that's the, the way the results come out when they're funded by this particular kind of group. Well, I would imagine Obama's appointment of, of Thomas Wheeler the, from the wireless trade group, the CTA, for the food and drug – ahead of the Food and Drug Administration is probably not bode well for research that's critical of, of wireless technology. Yep, you've got it. So let's talk about some um, other steps people can do. You, you mentioned, obviously, turning off your cell phone rather than leaving it on in your pocket. What are some other other thoughts around precautionary measures while people wait for more and better science to come out? The cell phone, by the way, is not only a man thing. Women tend to put this, these cell phones in their bra. And the fact is that there have been cases of uh, breast cancer that have been reported. And uh, it's wise to take the precaution and shut it off. If you're going to use that as your as the place where you're going to rest your cell phone, you can certainly shut it off before you put it in. Uh, the cell phone is a device that is pretty much universal, and people tend to use it all the time. It's having devastating effects on uh, social interactions. Uh, many people, the uh, younger people, tend to feel it's uh, better to, uh, you know, c uh, communicate by a cell phone than to do a face-to-face. -face. Uh, my wife and I were in a, in a restaurant not too long ago. And at the next table were a couple who were having dinner together, presumably, and each was on a cell phone. And uh, they weren't talking to each other. 
And I, uh, it would be even stranger if they were talking to each other. Yes, but sometimes that happens also. <laughs> in other words, if people do this on a train and on a bus and in an airplane, when you have, uh, especially adolescent uh, young people, when they're, when they're uh, traveling and they're sitting, seated apart, uh, they will communicate with, uh, with these devices, uh, even though they're within shouting distance. I don't know. That, that, that may be, uh, you know, just sort of, youthful exuberance or whatever you want to describe it to. But the, uh, the one thing that I, I thought I should mention that everybody ought to realize, and it's commonly just not, people don't pay attention to it, it's the Wi-Fi that's on. Wi-Fi is a great convenience, especially if you've got a, um, all this equipment around and you see the spaghetti that's, you know, the wiring there. It's hard to figure out where wires go, especially if something has to be uh, checked through. So most people are very uh, happy that there is something called wireless. Well, wireless means that the, that the signals are going through the environment and they're going through you. And uh, the fact is that uh, you can be subject to them, and many people are. It's easy enough to shut off the Wi-Fi when you're not using it, and most people do not. So that's a very important caveat. When, you, when you're going to sleep, shut off the Wi-Fi. When you're not using it, shut off the Wi-Fi. There's no reason to have it on. This is, it's particularly bad when you think about the use of uh, Wi-Fi in schools. Now, everybody justifies this with the uh, very, you know, positive-sounding uh, idea that, well, one can give all these educational programs and uh, great advantage to students in learning new, new things and all that. Uh, that's true, but there's absolutely no reason why the same information cannot be brought into schools via cable. There's no need to, to bring them in via wireless. And is, there some, is there some science behind children being more susceptible to uh, the dangers of electromagnetic radiation? Yes. I think the, the earliest uh, uh, studies were in terms of the, uh, the leukemia in children. That's from power line levels. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is that in brain tumors, it's quite clear that the irradiation that one gets from holding a cell phone to the head is much greater in terms of its penetration, the child's head is smaller, the bone is thinner, and myelination has not reached the same stage as an adult. Myelination is the, uh, the uh, lipid cover, uh, you know, insulation that's around the nerves that are carrying signals in the brain. Lipid has a different kind of a characteristic than water, the aqueous component of, of cells. And in effect, what it does is it makes it more difficult for the signal to go through. In fact, that's why you know you use it as an insulation. Like we cover a wire with an insulation, the nerves are covered with a lipid in form of a myelin sheath, which is, uh, uh, serves more or less the same purpose. So a child's brain is not as fully myelinated as an adult, and therefore, these signals can penetrate much more into the brain. So if a child is holding the cell phone to, to its head, you get more or less irradiation through almost the entire brain. An adult, you'll get a region that will be in the sort of a small part of the, uh, of the hemisphere, the particular hemisphere that's around the, the uh, ear that you're holding the phone to. 
So there's definitely a greater exposure to the uh, to children than to adults. But that's only cell phones. But the rest of the, the rest of the body is uh, is also the same thing with the developing uh, problems and the problems of development. Child is developing. They're rapidly. Uh, the cells are rapidly reproducing, which means that they're splitting and making new cells. This is a process that can be also influenced by any uh, damage that occurs as a result of these extraneous signals that are coming in. So there, there are many problems that indicate that children are far more vulnerable than adults. And then would, would that extend to other... Uh things such as, say, baby monitors, would, would that be something that people should be concerned about in terms of EMFs? Definitely, definitely. And in, in fact, in, in um, my book, I have a uh, small section on that, which gives some values that have been measured in, in baby monitors. And uh, while, remember, I mentioned earlier on about the childhood uh, leukemia from exposure to power lines, the level that was given uh, for uh, the field at which the, this danger is, is listed, it was given as, as uh, three to four milligauss was the level at which you doubled the risk for uh, childhood leukemia. Uh, many of these baby monitors have, uh, just because of all the equipment they have in there, they are over 10 milligauss. So it's three to four milligauss for the leukemia threshold and t- over 10 milligauss for some of these baby monitors that have been measured. So they're a real problem. And, and this is not for a healthy uh, child. This is usually for a child that is born that needs extra care and extra help. So you're putting an extra burden on this child uh, at, at a time when it should be getting extra assistance. And then there's the issue that we have less control over, which would be where we live in comparison to a, a cell tower or Wi-Fi tower. Well, it's, that's a big problem, and many people are involved in that. They're trying to stop the uh, siting of uh, towers. But unfortunately, the way the legislation was written, and this was uh, during the Clinton era, they put in the, uh, the stipulation that health reasons cannot be used to... Uh, in terms of uh, uh, determining siting of these towers. And that's unfortunate because that's the main objection that most people have, that that people should have. Because aesthetics is, you know, it's nice and all that, but the the fact is you can live with bad aesthetics. But when you've got these, uh, you know, this radiation coming at you, that's a different story. Is there anything um, brewing on the political level at the moment? Well, there are many groups that are trying to get the message out, and uh, the the message is not a good one, and it's also one that many people don't, do not wish to hear. Everybody, Nobody wants you to take their cell phone away, and that's the, the feeling they get when you tell them that it's potentially dangerous. Uh, it's, uh, there, there are groups, and uh, one of the... The things about writing a book is that uh, people identify you as somebody who can probably answer things because you know more than they do about it. But the fact of the matter is that uh, there are many groups that are around that are trying, actively trying to uh, influence the placement of these towers and to uh, try and prevent the uh, Wi-Fi in schools. And now with the latest thing about smart meters, 
I don't know what's smart about it, but the fact Dr. is... Dr. Blank, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I appreciate you being on Health Watch today. Okay, you're welcome. We've been talking today to Dr. Martin Blank about his latest book, Overpowered, The Dangers of Electromagnetic Radiation and What You Can Do About It. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Thank you.